Welcome to Path to Glory, a Warhammer Underworlds podcast that focuses on competitive gaming, player development, and community growth. This is your host, Jonathan, and I'm joined by my other host, Oman. Hey there, everyone. Hello. Um, for some reference, this episode was recorded on January 20th. This is the day after the January Grand Clash in the UK. Um, Sandro won that with the Grimwatch. And then next week, we are looking forward to the LVO with its Grand Clash and two skirmishes. Yep, and um, in terms of game state, we've just had a recent FAR release, uh, which uh, Jonathan's beloved Keep Them Guessing was banned, along with aggressive defense. And yep. a couple cards were added to the restricted list. And uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, also, we've had the Man Trappers revealed, but there has been no preview article. There's no release date. So we're still waiting on when that might uh, drop. Um, also, Nurgle was shown, or at least hinted, at the latest White Dwarf article called Glory Points. And that's written this month by John Bracken. So he has mysteriously usurped Dave Sanders and uh, <laughs> become the master of the Cataphranes for the month. Cool. Um, so we're going to do our uh, community shout-outs. Um, I just want to mention that since the last time we had uh, a podcast, the Miniature Fight Club have come out with their second video. Um, it, I think, was probably even better than their first video. Um, they've you know, ironed out a few things. They've sped it up a little bit. And then I think my favorite part is they had some great uh, goat sound effects. So um, I would definitely recommend watching that. So I haven't seen it yet. Um, I, it is on my <laughs> really? watch list on YouTube, though. So I would love for you to reenact a goat voice if you could. For effect. <laughs> it's like every time the goats die, they go, ah! Like a bleeding noise or something? Yeah, I don't know if you've ever seen the like Taylor Swift uh, video where instead of her singing, they replace it with a goat sound. No, uh, I have not. I have oh, to add that to my watch list now too. It's a classic. Yeah, we'll we'll link it in the show notes, but it's Amazing. it's wonderful. Um, <laughs> other than that, um, I want to give a shout out to the uh, stream that they did for the uh, Grand Clash over the weekend. Um, this time it was uh, Jay Claire um, joining their regular host, um, Nick Baton. Nick Baton, yep, and uh, they did a great job. Um, it was, I, I will say I kind of missed having John Reese on there, um, from the last time, but Jay did a great job as well. And, uh, it was a good coverage. The games I think were, uh, really good in particular the second day. Um, I thought the games were of excellent quality, um, and definitely worth watching if, uh, you can get a subscription to their Twitch. Yeah. And you can do that if you have Amazon prime, which, yeah, I believe uh, most people do nowadays. You can uh, get your free sub on Twitch. Just link your account in the settings. And uh, that's what I do every month. Just uh, give it to Warhammer TV. And that allows you to watch past events as well, which is pretty cool. Um, but speaking of the stream, I, I, I do agree that uh, John Reese had an excellent role as a commentator slash caster. Um, his tactical insight was truly, um, I really appreciate it the second time around. Um, I know casting is really hard, and so I totally respect what Nick and Jay did. Because um, you have to literally talk the whole time. We were talking about this, I think, last night. 
that it's just nonstop uh, conversation. So uh, I do respect it, and uh, I'm looking forward to more. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a good time. I know I woke up way too early to catch most of the games. <laughs> I was up at like 3:30 one of the days, and then by four the other day. So yeah. I didn't even set an alarm. I'm just like a nerd, and I just woke up. Like no, that's Christmas crazy. morning or something. <laughs> yeah, the, the second day I woke up at four and I had set an alarm for five and I don't even wake up for work that early. I don't know what's wrong with me, but um, yeah, yeah, plastic crack, everyone. <laughs> exactly. I told you to stay away, but you didn't. Look what I happened. Had to, I had to see the games. <laughs> yeah, dude. I remember I remember logged on and you were like, you sense John Reese. And I was like, because <laughs> <laughs> the moment I logged on, his game had just started. It was funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll continue on. Um, and the next one I wanted to mention was uh, from that event. Uh, one of the players that made the top 16, uh, Jack Varnum, uh, has created a deck guide on Well of Power for his uh, Harrow's, Lady Harrow's deck. Um, so there's some good info there if you wanted to check that out. And then also on Well of Power, I have created a stats breakdown for both days of the event. If you're interested on uh, how any of that went, um, I think I've finally figured out how to do these breakdowns uh, effectively and quickly. <laughs> I just basically have to fill in the Excel sheet each time, and it does most of the math for me. So um, I'm hoping that from now on, the big events, uh, I can do the breakdowns with this similar level of quality. And uh, I may work on trying to make it look a little bit better. But um, I think there's a lot of cool info in there. I think we'll mention a lot of it um, on this episode. But um yeah a bit of a self shout out but i think it's i just think it's really cool so. no no it most certainly is and i think even notley who was the moderator in the warhammer tv stream chat on uh, twitch was linking that information the whole time because i think they had planned on doing it and then someone was like well of powers already done this and so instead of them doing it they just kept linking your stuff which i thought was awesome um <laughs> as a as not even as someone who is your friend and um you know, we talk about some of the content you create, but just as a fan and someone who wants to just look at this data, I mean, it's super useful. And I know the community loves that you do it. So I think that shout out is well worth um, the shout out and the time, you know, because it's it's relevant, useful information and can really highlight some staggering information, which, as you mentioned, we will get over. So thank you for that. Um, just as a fan. Um, yeah, absolutely. But number two. Um, or actually, not number two, but lastly, um, <laughs> uh, what the heck dropped a podcast episode today? And fortuitously, it is about Lady Harrow's Mourn Flight, which had a very surprising and dare I say dominating performance uh, at the Grand Clash over the weekend. Um, one of the players was John Reese, but uh, they they performed very well overall, and uh, it's really funny because. I believe the episode was supposed to be about Gits, Zarbag's Gits, but um, they had some technical difficulties, so they released this one instead. And uh, I will have to say, hats off to them. That's perfect timing. Yeah, I listened to it at work today, and uh, I thought it was really interesting. Uh, I, I'll say that uh, Lady Harrow's are a warband that I've probably had the least experience with. Um, so getting to see how well they did at the event and watching John play them and then listening to the podcast. Uh, I'm considering maybe bringing them out um, sometime this week. So. I wonder what event is this week. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. A number of events. 
maybe a nice skirmish. Oof, oof, oof. <laughs> um, cool. Well, uh, Jonathan, um, let's jump into the next segment. So, you know, this is where we talk about kind of what we've been up to, um, personal Underworlds recap. So what have you been doing in the realm of the Underworlds? Uh, well, I actually had a local tournament uh, last week, and I took the despoilers. Um, I was kind of running a uh, sort of objective, sort of aggro deck with Hoarder. Um, but I also had a couple of other cards like Opening Gambit and Combination Strike and Survival of the Fittest. And in all the games that I had played before, a couple of them um, before that event, it seemed to work just fine. And then I got to the event and it just, everything bricked. I think I drew Hoarder in my first hand, the first round, like half of the games I played. Ouch. Um, and then half the time I had it, I would also have combination strike in my hand and another end phase. And it was just pretty brutal. Um, so, and I think I went one and I think I, I won one game and then uh, lost the other two. So, um, against Grimwatch and Wild Hunt, and I beat the Chosen Axes. Um, and they were they were pretty close games. I think I took a game in each one, but um, actually I took a game against the Grimwatch, but I think I tied one of the uh, Wild Hunt games. But right. um, I think what I learned there that I may have just been getting a little bit lazy on is um, I think I had too much reliance on like Combination Strike, Hoarder opening gambit and cards mm-hmm. that I can't score in the first round. Right. Um, so since that event, when I've been putting my decks together, I have been uh, almost purposely trying to make it so that it's impossible to brick. Yeah. Um, I think that's a generally a good strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think sometimes you have to make the, the risk assessment of, you know, am I going to include combination strike in the deck or right. not? Um, and I, 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 you know, it's been a week or so and I've played a number of games and I've done a lot of deck building and I've actually put it back in a lot of the decks. Um, but it was an interesting sort of experiment. Uh, like I made a Grimwatch deck that had, uh, no, like it, it had no cards that relied on anything else. Like I had supremacy, I had tactical, uh, right. supremacies. Um, and it was just kind of an experiment in, you know, what if every single card I draw, I could score on its own. Um, and I think there's advantages to having, you know, sort of win more cards or like cards that reward you for doing well. Um, but you don't want to do too much of that. So, uh, it was a good experience all told. Um, one of my friends, uh, won it with Thorns, the Briar Queen, uh, Jonathan. Was it the Nib. other Jonathan? It was the other Jonathan. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's his second win with the Thorns of the Briar Queen. So I think he's going to try to play something else. For a little bit, <laughs> but I hope so. Yeah, yeah. He he's uh, a big fan of the uh, skeletons, so I think he's he may go back to them or uh, try out the wild hunt because he had a couple good games against them. So yeah, um, I wanted to focus on something you mentioned about breaking and deck building. So sure, um, because in the past, you know, we didn't have the six six limitation, and so like my grand clash winning deck, I had sound finances, victory after victory, and combination strike. Uh, and even before that, I remember at Nova, my Curse Breaker deck um, was had victory after victory and combination strike. And I remember I was playing against uh, Victor, and uh, in a mirror match, unfortunately. And he goes, "You have both 
And I go, yeah, I never leave home without both. And he goes, that's so risky. And I guess because we had so many surges in the past or score immediates, I guess I never really noticed it. And every once in a while, yeah, you'd get like a real crap hand, but just toss it and hopefully, you know, you just kill everything. Um, But here, you know, and this is something we've alluded to in the past is whoever draws into their score immediates first has kind of an advantage. So do you think that the number of square immediates should change, or do you like it at a flat even 6-6? Six, six? Hmm. Um, I, so I definitely don't want too many. Um, I guess I guess that would be the, the first thing. Um, if we had eight or nine at this point, I think that would be too much. Um, I, I guess I don't like how even it is. Um, I don't because six six makes it so you're just as likely to get um, any combination. Like you're just as likely to get three surges as you are three end phase. Um, you're just as likely to get you know one of one kind and two of the other. Um, so th- there's not really a way for you to build because um, previously you could say, well, I'm going to put five surges in and I know that I won't have that many. Um, and you could sort of build around that. You could you could say, well, I'll have seven or eight, and I, I know that those are reliable. Um, so in a way, I don't I don't really like the way the math works out because I I feel like it is the most random of the options. Even if it was like you're only allowed five, then at least you'd sort of know that most of the time you get more end phase than surges. Um, so. But then again, I, I just don't know what the solution is. I mean, I guess we could go to seven. Like maybe seven would be better than six. Yeah, and that, and that's something I'm curious in is I wonder if we go lower, does it further exacerbate the problem? So if we go up to seven, um, you've, I feel like deck freedom kind of frees up a bit. But then people may, I guess, complain again that the deck or games kind of feel silly when you're scoring three floor, three or four glory at a time. But if you look at just recent decks and even the final and the grand clash, that's still a common strategy. Like, yeah, breakers rely on scoring three or four glory to kill. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. Um, I also think that this the I think that it could be if if this is a problem, I think that it could be solved with um, more better end phase cards. like if you drew into three end phase cards, but you were able to score a couple of them um, reliably, and this is one of the reasons I'm a little sad that combination or uh, that keep them guessing is gone, because I I know that for me there would be turns when I would draw into keep them guessing, um, and not really have very much else that I would be able to score, um, but I would know that I would be able to get keep them guessing. I would know that it would be a reliable reward, and then I could have a good second round. Um, right. So I think right now we're kind of in a weird situation where there really aren't very many good end phase cards, especially for aggro. I'd say there are really almost none. Um, I have a hard time building decks for Shadespire Warbands without Combination Strike and Opening Gambit. Um, just because I don't, there's not really any better cards that are like more reliable. Um, and, and to be I'm fair, always, we're only halfway through the season, right? So... Potentially oh, yeah, yeah. some other cards, but if let's say this this challenge continues after the full release of Beastgrave, um, 
I guess what I'm trying to do here is make you pick. Like, would you bump up surges <laughs> to seven? Would you keep it as is, or would you bump them down to five? I think I would prefer seven over five. I agree. Yeah, I think that's a good call. Um, yeah. I'm curious to see what other people think. Um, would love to hear your feedback on that. Um, in the interest of time, we're going to move on. But uh, really um, think that that's a valid point. And I'd like to see the math behind that, too, although I'm sure you've already probably calculated it. Uh, I have it. I know that 6-6, six, six, you know, you're, you're, there's just no advantage either way. Um, I imagine that 7-5 would be a little bit better. But, uh, yeah, I'm sure we could make that happen. Somebody could do that if it's not mm-hmm. me. <laughs> if you're out there, please do right. the math. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll show you on the next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, cool. And um, I think you had an event yesterday. Did you want to talk about that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was planning on – so I was an event yesterday at uh, Games Workshop Village Center. And I wasn't planning on being in Houston, but my brother needed help with some work. So I went out there, and um, I took two warbands with me. I took Godsworn Hunt and uh, Lady Harrow's Morn Flight. And I wasn't really sure which one I wanted to play with. I was a little scared of playing the Godsworn because I'd been to three local finals with them and then the dice just gave up on me. And then with Lady Harrow's, I had heard the buzz and I was feeling like they may be a good, like in a good spot for the upcoming meta. And then after watching the Grand Clash and seeing how dominating the performance was, I had selected on, you know what, I'll just try them out. Who knows, I'll probably see them at LVO at the latest, and it's better to understand how they operate at this time. So I went to a six-man event. A lot of fun. Um, first game played against Magors, and um, this is kind of the problem with aggro. So I won board all off twice. I took three objectives, and I kind of just waited for him to come to me. And when he did, I inspired and killed him. Uh, Riptooth did get a choice kill on Lady Harrow, and that's something that Riptooth always does, um, which is fun, I guess. But um, it just goes to show that I think when they go toe-to-toe, like the extra movement is pretty useful. And then obviously Cleave with the Harrow, Lady Harrow. Um, and then the Anguish one, I think she stops you from rolling successful crits. So if she mm-hmm. crits you once, you just can't stop it, which is crazy to me. Yeah. Um, so that, that was fun. And... Um, Second game was against uh, Ripa Snarlfangs. No, it wasn't Ripa Snarlfangs. It was, oh, it was a mirror match, which those are always fun. But again, super useful trying to figure out, uh, you know, how to fight in the mirror. My deck was more passive. So again, I was, uh, the, my opponent was the beatdown. So I just took advantage of the same strategy. And the last game I played Thorns, which was actually really tough. And I, the first game I kind of got lucky where I just got Tome of offering on Lady Harrow. And, uh, I forgot that if you target another person, you can push her until that final round. Um, and I don't know why, but me and my opponent, none of us did it in the second game. I'm really not sure why, but um, maybe I think it's just, just easy to forget. Yeah, I think we were just both so zoned in on the game, and it's crazy. So the first game, no one made a successful attack roll until the third activation, because we were either keep missing, or we would crit each other out. Wow. Yeah, um, and then 
Lady Harrow just went to town. Um, and then I just got some of my surges and it worked out. And I just denied the Thorns from scoring. And then the second game, um, uh, the Queen was pretty active. But uh, in, in, in a complete reversal, I made all my attacks and my opponent failed all his defense rolls. So it kind of just, you know how sometimes aggros go nuts, you know. So that's kind of what happened. But uh, at the end, it was just Harrow and Varklav left. And uh, we decided to duke it out one-on-one because it's more thematic and fun that way. And uh, I guess angry ladies always win. Yeah, I would think that the uh, Thorns matchup is actually one of the harder ones for Lady Harrows. But I guess if you can kill all of the Chain Rasps and get Tombo Offerings out, then uh, it's probably more doable. Yeah, and that's kind of exactly what I did is I just drew into... Uh, tomes in the first game and then the second game um i think he took objectives so i just set up on the line i charged four times first turn probably shouldn't do that but i had a good feeling <laughs> i guess it worked out <laughs> yeah well you'd you'd failed enough attacks the round before i guess that <laughs> yeah well part of it <laughs> was also like make some of them. yeah no exactly right like you know the statistics is kind of still back in my favor but part of me was also like this is good because, like, if I do play this warband or I play against it, like, what do they plan to do? So yeah. I tried to figure out a way in which I was like, what's the best optimal way to play to see how they perform? And so probably too optimal because of the roles. But again, great event. I I love. It's my favorite store to play games at. Community is awesome, and they all like to play great decks. Um, they like to play hard, and they really compete to a highest level. Um, I think. It's a lot of fun, and uh, shout out to that store and the manager Zach. He's he's great. Yeah, yeah. I, I got to say that's one of the things that I noticed at my recent event is that a lot of my local players I feel like have kind of leveled up recently. Um, the games that I played um, were just really tough. Um, my friend Robert, uh, who was actually at the one of the UK Grand Clashes in October, and I think he was like 19th or something. Um, his Grimwatch, you know, beat me in the first round, and those were really tough games. Um, and he's gotten way better in the, you know, year or so that I've known him. And uh, the guy that won the event ended up beating him, and you know, he's one of the ones that taught me the game. And um, you know, it's just really cool to see the local, uh, the locals just get better and better. You know, now that we've been playing it for like over a year, or some of them up to like two years now. Yeah. I really like that 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 phrase like we have leveled up. It, it's it's very apt. Like last this time last year, I just I feel like I had a better understanding of the game at the time. But now you know with all these resources and people taking a vested interest in the game, like it's you know the the games have gotten harder. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I I'm really happy to see that because um, people care and people want to come out and they want to play games and they want to play high quality competitive games and. It really makes me happy, and I, uh, again, very grateful for that store and those people in that community. But overall, in the city of if Houston, um, you know, the level of play has gone up, and I'm looking forward to playing more games. Yeah, hopefully we can get uh, the communities together for some of the big Dallas events, and uh, that should be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, I know that you're planning on doing something at uh, the Dallas GT. So. Yep. And then we have the Grand Clash in uh, the end of May. So. Yeah, actually, everyone at that store who was at that tournament said they'd be at that uh, G- Grand Clash. That's awesome. So, yeah. Yeah. 
So that's six people, including me right there. And so um, hopefully we'll have some people flying as well and uh, make it a good show. Cool. That's awesome. Um, <clears throat> let's see what we want to talk about next. I think um, I think what we'd like what I'd like to talk about is some of the results of uh, the Grand Clash and sort of the perception of what the meta is now um, going up to LVO. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that I found interesting, and uh, I think you saw this as well on the Facebook, um, Nick Baden was talking about how Grimwatch won all three events. Uh, there were two skirmishes, and there was a Grand Clash. And uh, Grimwatch won all three of them. Right. Um, that and, includes uh, Bugman's, right? Yeah, that was Bugman's on Friday, and then... Um, the Constellation two, skirmish on... Exactly. Yeah. Right. The one on the one on uh, Sunday. Sunday, and then they they took the Grand Clash as well with uh, Sandro. Right. And what do you think about that um, result from like a meta and I guess game health perspective? Yeah, that's a great question. So it's really interesting because when you talk about you know what was the best warband competitively in terms of just raw talent and ability you don't think grimwatch you think thorns of the briar queen but after that recent far list the grimwatch i think were pretty even keel at that point i think before that everyone was like uh thorns beat grimwatch and then they can kind of do some like scrum and temporary victory were absurd with them but now mm -hmm. with those going on the restricted list uh grimwatch kind of were like okay well maybe you know they can kind of compete but i still think that it was skewed in the uh, Thorne's favor. But then, you know, you've, again, thank you for so much for this, you know, aggregation of data. But um, if you look at it from a statistical perspective, the highest count warband was Grimwatch with 21. So, like, statistically, they probably had the highest chance of winning. Um, but then you look at just overall popularity, and they're still pretty high up there. And I think what it comes down to is that they just, I'm not surprised, honestly. Like, if you had asked me, which you did, like the week before, you say, who do you think is going to win? I said, it'll probably be Grimwatch, Thorns, or Curse Breakers. I wouldn't be surprised if Grimwatch took the whole thing. And my practice partners and who I was uh, working with on cam games who attended those events, we all kind of came to a conclusion where it's like, it's probably Grimwatch. You should probably play it because sometimes you just get ridiculous opening hands where you'll have three objectives on your side of the board. You'll have objective one. Or even if you don't, you'll get, like, calculated risk in the name of the king and, like, temporary victory. And, like, what? Like that's that's five glory. Yeah. For, for doing nothing. And I think <laughs> that's the appeal behind Grimwatch is, and not to take away from anyone who's ever played Grimwatch or has succeeded with them, I think, I don't care what warband you're playing, it takes a lot of skill to win a Grand Clash. And to just put yourself in that position to be able to win one. So, um... No disrespect intended at all, but at the end of the day, like, there are people who I think are doing really well because they're playing Grimwatch. It's kind of like a Molog effect, where in this situation, you don't really have to think. Your cards and your deck tells you how to play it. I have I have heard a lot of people say that they feel like Grimwatch kind of play themselves. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, I drew uh, these cards, and I have to stand on objectives, and oh, I don't have to stay on them the whole turn? I can just score them if I move on them? What? Okay. 
take some pushes, push my fighters, score. And then, you know, if your warband inspires, then for some reason you have a very potent aggro warband as well. Um, with your yeah, warband you leader being better than Scritch. But has the same tactical um, viability of, like, the warden. It's crazy. So, yeah, I don't know. I think Grimwatch are really strong. I'm not surprised Grimwatch won. Um, and I don't right. think anyone really is. Are you? Um, so it's interesting. I don't think that Grimwatch are the best warband right now. Um, I think of the, I guess we could say of the four, if we're including Lady Harrow's, um, right. I think they have some bad matchups. Um, I think, I think that Thorns are the best right now. Um, and I think honestly their performance at the event kind of shows that, um, they had, they only had 16 players, but they had six of them in the top. Uh, they had six of them in the make the cut for 16, and they had 25% of their whole group go 4 and 0, which is wait, was it six of them or four of them who made it to top 16? So four players went 4 and 0 and made top eight, but oh, two, I see. two more went. Uh, I believe it was three and one or three and a draw and ended up making the top 16. So, awesome. I mean, just, just having four out of 16 go undefeated um, statistically is something like four times the representation representation that you would expect. Right. Um, if like they just won or lost like on a 50% scale, if that makes sense. Um, you'd expect like, I think, one to go undefeated out of right. 16 over four rounds. Um, so I think you could say they're doing like four times better than expected mm-hmm. or than would be average. Um, and then also if you look at their win rates against other factions, which is one of the things that I tracked this time for the first time, um, the only warband that they had a losing record against in the first day was Ripa's Snarlfangs. And they went two and three against them. So that's you know still only a 40% win rate. Um, they had a positive win rate against every warband except themselves because you always go 50-50 against yourself. Uh, and then in Skaven, they lost one game and they won one game. So they were at 50% there as well. Right. Um, which is really interesting to me. Um, Lady Harrow's is one of their lower uh, win rates at 60%. Um, they have a lot where they just pretty much won every game. Um, Curse Curse Breakers in the first day, they won 72% of their games um, out of 11 games. So that was pretty good. Um, Thundrix Profiteers, they won three out of four games. So that's 75%. In general, they had a 71% win rate in that first day, um, which I think is unheard of. uh, That is pretty high. Yeah, and I mean, obviously there were some really great players playing that warband. I don't think that that's uh, something that we can look over. Yeah, uh, that, I mean, actually, that was going to be my next point was that. Yeah. Because almost half of them went to day two. Um, mm-hmm. It means it mean just goes to show that yeah, sure the warband's strong, but you know, like four of those guys were in top eight. Yeah, and and honestly, those most of those 
top eight had either been in the top eight before or 16 before or had won Grand Clashes before. I mean, right. that, that's that's another thing that, you know, we can talk about. This event was, like, just stacked when it came to uh, excellent players. Right. Um, but I do think that, you know, if if the top players can take a warband like this and then do this well with it, um, I still think that that indicates uh, a bit of an imbalance in just how good uh thorns of the briar queen are right now mm-hmm. um if we look at the stats for the grimwatch which there were more of at the event um they they similarly similarly they won the most of their games against um what i would consider to be the harder to win with warbands um like they most of the Shadespire uh matchups they just took it at 100 percent um although magor's fiends would be the exception they right. were 50-50 against McGor's Fiends. Kind of um, makes sense. The Grimwatch into Thorns of the Briar Queen, uh, their win rate was 25%, uh-huh. which is really bad. Right. Um, and that was over 12 games. Um, <clears throat> in round three, every single Thorns of the Briar Queen won their game against uh, the Grimwatch, which I think was six games, which is really interesting that uh, that's when a lot of the Grimwatch seemed to have been knocked out. Um, and then, uh, but other than that, um, they did have a 50, 50 against curse breakers, um, 50, 50 against skates, wild hunt. Um, they only played one game against iron souls condemners and they lost that one. I don't know if that's kind of a fluke or maybe condemners are pretty good into Grimwatch. Um, <clears throat> but overall their win rate was only, uh, 59%. Um, and I think it's interesting to note that a lot of the uh, matchups that they're the best at are warbands that we would sort of assume would lose to a top-tier warband anyway. Right. But when you look at Curse Breakers and Thorns and Harrows and uh, Profiteers, um, their best win rate is 60% against Profiteers and Harrows. Um, but then it's 50% or worse against the other ones. So right. I do think Grimwatch are really, really good. But I think they're about on par with the other warbands that are really, really good. So it's interesting you say that because while I agree with the factual evidence that you've presented and you've gathered, I think that the one thing that we can't quantify, which, again, we've mentioned already, is that I think for the most part, better players took thorns. Um in terms of just their result overall and their standing. And I think Golso, like Grimwatch is perceived to be one of the strongest. So that might've meant that a lot of people took it to like, with the thought that like, this will help me score higher than maybe perhaps I would with another warband. Um, and then I think also a lot of people were prepared for the Grimwatch matchup and the objective matchup in general. And I think Thorns inherently are more adaptable because of Varclav. Um, so yeah. while I'm not disagreeing with you, while I do think Thorns are perhaps maybe according like, according to you even better than Grimwatch, I do think that, you know, as we mentioned earlier, Thorns just play better into Grimwatch anyways. Um, yeah, well, that's the other thing that's really interesting, I think, about the Grimwatch is that at a really high level... Um, I think they're kind of solved. I think most people know how to beat them. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I think that like most of the top players will beat them um, unless the Grimwatch's hand and particularly their objective hand and their score immediately surges and stuff um, get out of hand. Um, it's also really, really interesting to me that in the final day, there were six uh, curse breaker. No, there were six thorns of the briar queen players in that uh, cut, and then in the first round, uh, two of them knocked one of them out. Uh, Dan Jones and Thomas Brown played each other, thorns versus thorns, and then you know obviously one of them lost. Dan Jones was able to uh, take that one, so that was one thorns that was out, and then. Frederick uh, Hoonke, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but who ended up coming in second, he played three Thorns of the Briar Queen players back-to-back and knocked all three of them out. And then John Reese was able to take one out, and then Sandro, who uh, ended up taking the event, took one out in the first round and then was able to play Harrows, and then Harrows again, and then Curse Breakers in the final, which except for the first round where he was able to beat Thorns, those other three are all sort of in his favor or a 50-50. So I I would actually say, like, if if you had asked me when I knew what the top 16 were, I would not have thought that it would have been uh, Grimwatch. And I think that uh, a lot of it was um, fortunate matchups. And obviously, uh, Sender's a great player and... He was able to take the thorns out in the first round, but I, I bet it would have been a lot harder if he had ended up playing thorns in the second round and the third round. And, you know, it's, I, I think it's really cool that uh, Frederick was able to knock them out <laughs> three games in a row because that just seems like it would be brutal. Right. I mean, that's a really interesting point. And I think matchups are very important. And we've talked about this in the past where, like, yeah. once we get to the top 16, top eight, it really comes down to, like, luck matters more. Um, not necessarily dice rolls, which I think they do matter when skill is much smaller in gap, but just matchups too, right? Like you can play curse breakers, and if Frederick had played a Molog who just happened to roll hot, he would have lost, um, right? So it's yeah, it's just, probably it's a very fair point that you're making, um, and but you know I just I just still find it like sure maybe in that event. Um, and, you know, that's I mean, I think it's fine to disagree here, but I don't think you can say that the Grimwatch kind of had choice matchups in three different events. If they did, then that's that's very lucky. But at the end of the day, like not only did they win the Grand Clash, but they also won the two other skirmish events, which one of the skirmish events were people playing the same exact stuff they had taken the day before yeah. to try to win the whole grand clash. You can say that Bugman's was more fun, but I mean, even if you remove Bugman's from the equation, like the skirmish and the grand clash were won, look, were won by a war band that, you know, people are saying that they've solved. I mean, like I spoke to Jimmy Molini, uh, mm-hmm. who was at the event. He played Bungor's fiends. And, and I think you, uh, realized that he was the top performing Shadespire Warband player at the event. Yeah, um, he was. So shout out to Jimmy. And he was saying that he was drinking at the bar and a lot of the guys were like, yeah, we we solved the Grimwatch. Like, we were ready for it. But then they end up winning all events. So I'm not really sure how solved was it or even if it was, like, does it even matter? 
Because like if you get the the best hand or a great hand, you're probably going to win the game, right? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do agree that that does happen, and when it does, it's really really difficult to to win, and that is probably an issue with uh, the Grimwatch uh, sort of archetype, I guess. Um, I will also say that it's likely that the second day all the Thorns players were actually in the top 16 cut, <laughs> and they weren't in the second skirmish. But I guess we'd have to see the numbers on that. That's but. fair. I, I, I didn't <laughs> think of it like that, but still. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, curse and, breakers were there. And then in the um, in the first one, this the one that uh, at Bugman's, they did win because they had the best uh, overall score, but there were five undefeated uh, warbands there. And only one of them was Grimwatch. So they were number one, but um, it looks like the next Grimwatch was significantly lower. But it's hard to... I think they were 21st, Right. it looks like. So it's, it's really just hard to say. Um, I think that it's more of a... Like, obviously, they're a top-tier warband. Um, I would say it's more of a fluke that they happen to win all three. Um because I think there could be any number of other scenarios, particularly in the top 16, where the matchups happen a little bit differently and somebody else is able to take it. Um, right. And I, I actually think that Sandro winning uh, the event was a little bit of an underdog story, given what that top 16 looked like. Um, I just so think I, it's really cool he was able to pull it off. Absolutely. I mean, first of all, congratulations, Sandro. And so oh, yeah. I guess my first question to you after that statement would be, so are you generally surprised that Grimwatch won the Grand Clash? Like, are is, the, is not a, even a little bit of you like, oh, yeah, it's, I mean, Grimwatch won. That's fair. Or or no? Um, I would not have been surpri- as surprised as I would be if, for example, like, you know, Godsworn Hunt won it. <laughs> um, but, I mean, no Grimwatch players went undefeated in the first day which I think is sort of notable. Um, I don't know how reliable they are. Um, I think if if you're against good players and good players know how to take them apart, which is usually don't let them inspire and then, you know, just get as many kills as you can. Um, I think if you follow that plan, I think that uh, sometimes they don't get the perfect hand and their objectives brick or they're not able to get the temporary victory into in the name of the king, and you're able to block the objective, things like that. Um, I think sometimes it falls apart. Um, I think we, you know, we know a number of players that took Grimwatch and weren't able to, um, you know, make the distance. Um, so I, I just find it interesting. Um, yeah. <laughs> but they are, they are definitely good. I just I would be a little bit hesitant to say that they're the best just because they happen to win all three uh, events. I don't think that the numbers really indicate that they are. Right. No, I, uh, I think we, we may just be quibbling over like the details. Yeah. Know? I mean, I guess my last point would be, I don't necessarily think they're inherently the best. I think, you know, I think thorns, I think we both agree that thorns are, if not number one, like tied for number one with Grimwatch. Um, but like, yeah. you know, as we said, you know, I think we had both come to the conclusion that Grimwatch Thorns or Cursebreakers was going to take the event. Um, I think and, so. And then, you know, not only were they in the top three or top four, um, uh, you know, 
I mean, I don't know. I guess when Nick Baden posted that, I, I like literally looked at it and I was like, makes sense. And I kept, I liked it and kept going, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, I do really appreciate your point of view and I do agree with most of it, but I just, I, I truly, honestly, I'm not surprised we're much one. I'm really yeah. not. I, I'm not shocked. Um, I just think it's interesting that, uh, there were only two in the top 16. One of them got knocked out, I think, in the second round. And then the other one just didn't play against Thorns again. <laughs> right. So, because I think that the Grimwatch into Lady Harrow's matchup is actually better for uh, Grimwatch because I don't think Lady Harrow's like being forced to be aggressive at the beginning. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's, I just think it ends up not quite being in their favor. Um which is interesting to me that that's how that matchup would work out. Um, mm-hmm. And I just, I really think it's cool that Frederick was able to knock out three Thorns players in a row. Yeah. I think, I guess he just knows, knows how to do that matchup, which is well, just blow did. everything apart. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think his deck ran invert terrain either. So no, I didn't. ran eight spells, spectral wings and uh, lethal warden encroaching shadows, I think. Yeah, yeah. Or I think you just if you get Tome of Offerings out early enough and you kill everything, then they just can't get their uh, end scoring stuff out. And uh, I know he had a really clutch uh, unmaking at one point that uh, won in one of the games. So yeah, that's just a great card in that matchup. So, yeah, yeah. It was a really cool event to watch. Um, and uh, I think that we've. I think in a lot of ways it's probably cemented in my mind um, what the top warbands are. Um, I did a breakdown of the top 30% of players, which was the 45 players that had a better than 2 and 2 average. And 25% of that was Thorns. And then the other 25% was Grimwatch. And then the next 25% was half Lady Harrows and Curse Breakers. And then the very last 25% was a combination of Guardians, Profiteers, Magor's Fiends, Farstriders, Condemners, Wild Hunt, and Despoilers. And each of those had either one or two uh, warbands present. And I thought that was pretty interesting. Um... One of the things that's interesting about that event is they didn't. There were there was only one Molog player, mm-hmm. um, and I think Molog actually does pretty good in this meta um, if he can get going and get Tome of Offerings and things like that. Um, the particular player um, didn't have the best day, um, and with only one player, it's really hard to get any data. But it'd be interesting to see uh, what Molog could do if you know maybe eight people brought Molog, something like that. Yeah, because um, I feel like he was kind of missing from the event, and you know, one one player is always—it's just so hard to um, get any information off of that. Well, it's really interesting you say that because I think a lot of people are kind of done with Malog and kind of glad he's gone. <laughs> I know I is, am. <laughs> yeah, I mean, me too, right? But I was surprised that there was there was one, um, but like rebounds gone. And yeah, sure, so is aggressive defense. But, I mean, guys, rebound is gone. <laughs> Malog right. can't kill himself anymore. Yeah. So, I don't know. I thought it might have been a good option. I still think, like, veteran players can probably play around it. 
But if you're a veteran player and you take Molog and you roll hot, no one's beating you. Sorry. Yeah, that might be true. Yeah. It's so interesting. I know uh, that um, Gerard the Professor was considering bringing Molog, but I think he ended up changing to Harrow's. So. I feel like a lot of people we know changed last minute. Um, yeah, to, I think like, so. Different warbands. And it's just so interesting to see. Um, you know, I've heard a lot of comments, and we've talked about this as well at length, about like a rock, paper, scissors meta. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what do you think beats what you think you'll see the most? And hopefully doesn't lose to what you'll see the least type of situation, if that even made sense. So Yeah, um, I think it does. I think if you take one of the top three or even the top four at this point, which sounds like Lady Heroes is in the is a top four warband now, um you kind of just hope you get good matchups, you get choice matchups. But I I don't know. Let's um we can get into that a little bit later, but let's talk about some of the Shades Fire Warbands. I know that they're near and dear to everyone's heart. Um, personally, I still love my Shades for our Warbands a lot. Um, but because I'm a meta slave, I uh, <laughs> don't play them anymore. Um, I think we, I think we're both meta slaves here a little bit. Though you do dabble with Skaven. And speaking of those pesky little rat men, um, what do you think about them? Um, I was a little bit surprised that um, they didn't do a little bit better. Um, I think they're in a pretty good place right now. Um, there were only four players, so it's always hard to see, um, you know, get anything, uh, you know, concrete from that. Um, there was a Skaven player that came in second at the uh, Bugman's skirmish the day before. So that's Dope. pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, there was also a Godsworn Hunt player that was undefeated. So Really? Yeah. Yeah. The top five was Grimwatch, Spike Claws, Thundrix, Godsworn. Wild Hunt. That's so, awesome. Yeah. That's really cool how all those warbands are different. And then if you look at the top four at the Grand Clash, there are four different warbands. Um, yeah. So super cool, actually. Um, so what do you think about Skaven? you think you'd, uh, you'd um, run them at a Grand Clash? I don't know if I would run them at a Grand Clash. Um, it's kind of like we were talking about earlier. I wish they had a couple more end phase objectives. I really miss Keep Them Guessing on Skaven. Um, they were pretty good at getting it. You could take a couple cards to help you get it as well, like Jealous Defense could get you the attack and the move. You know, you'd move and then you'd get the attack. Um, things like that. Um, I have a hard time building a deck with them that doesn't have Combination Strike and Opening Gambit. Um, and then I'm thinking maybe you need to put in, like, Hold, Objective 1 and 4, those kind of things. Um, but I'm really not sure... Um, the cool thing about them to me is that Scritch can kind of hide in the back and then come in as a missile when you need him to. Right. Um, and then once you get Expendable and Crown of Avarice on a couple of the other guys, the enemy sort of runs out of targets. Um, so I think versus aggro, um, you can actually just run around getting objectives with your rats, mm-hmm. um, score temporary victory, maybe score scrum or swift capture, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I think it's hard, and I think that you rely a lot on, a lot on card draw. Um, and I think you can brick too much to win, uh, like, to do very well in a, you know, really competitive best-of-three format. Yeah. Um, that's that's sort of my, what I'm thinking there. I do think that maybe if more players, uh, or, you know, top players took them, they might have a little bit more success. But um, I also do think that the more universals we get, 
um, the better they will get because they have a really cool toolkit. Um, they have their own distraction as well, which is big. The resurrect card is really strong. Um, so maybe we'll see more of them. I yeah, kind of hope I, we do because they're a lot of fun to play. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I thought Mad Skull took them, right? Mad Skulls? Yeah, and I think he went yeah. two and two, which, yeah. I mean, isn't bad. That's, you know, somewhere, Fairly in, respectable. The, somewhere in the oh. probably top half. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I, I think that's something that we, you know, probably focus on a little bit too much is, you know, we always want to play the very best thing. But, um, you know, most people at an event will go two and two, you know? Yeah. So, um, well, let's talk you know. about um, some of the other objective warbands that kind of got left to the wayside, um, namely Guard and Gits. Um, I think we'll split those up. So I'll take Gits. Um, sure. Person, yeah, personally, um, I thought they were going to do pretty solid. Um, the fact that you have Scrum, you have Matt Scurry. Temporary victory, supremacy. I mean, it seems like, and you have nine fighters, and seven of them can hold objectives. Um, I don't know. Seemed pretty solid to me. Uh, I actually was building a list like a week or two ago, and I was like, this seems pretty solid in concept. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how many players were there, but clearly they didn't do very well. Um, why do you think that is? Because like I. Maybe they give up too much glory. I mean, I know you've mentioned that in the past, and Pure Carnage kind of offset that. Uh, mm-hmm. um, but, I mean, I don't know. I I think they're pretty solid warband, and they can get pretty scary. I mean, they hit on two smash and do two damage with their squigs. And um, Drizgit does the same thing. And then once you get inspired, because you will, because you run Temporary Victory and Scrum, um, Zarbag is doing three with cleave as well or two damage on three fury with cleave i mean it's it's -hmm. pretty nasty don't forget we have snark flying around like a madman i mean (laughs) i don't know i i would have thought they'd done better yeah i i think i'm a little bit surprised um i wonder if it's um i I just maybe it's the number of players i think there were only five um i don't know if i'm really just not sure if they're considered to be like top tier, I, I think, I don't know, I might be a little bit hesitant to take them um, if I was trying to win a large event. I think that if I did, I think I would do well, but I think it's hard to do well consistently. Um, I think do there's you think some a lack of wounds is an issue? I think it's actually, I think that's part no of it. Four wound fighters. Yeah, I think that is part of it. Um, if you need to kill the important goblins, then you can. Um, like you can, if you need to kill the leader, you probably can with, um, someone, if you need to kill Drisket, um, he's not really that hard to kill. Um, I do think they give up a lot of glory, but so do a lot of other warbands. Um, I think part of their problem is if they really need to remove a certain threat, they can have a hard time doing it. Um, cause most of them only do two damage. I think that's the most that any of them do. So with like, I, I know that I used to really like concealed weapon cause that would be a pretty reliable damage boost for them. Yeah. And now that that's gone, I think they have a harder time. I like inspired attack, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but sometimes that doesn't quite get you there. Um, and then you do, you are giving up a lot of glory, um, the whole time. Yeah. And now that I think about it too, you kind of need. Great Strength, Sting of the Air, Grab, and probably Glory Seeker. 
I think so. So your upgrades are kind of tight as well, now that I'm thinking about it. And may, probably some weapons to go along with that. Yeah, like, like Nullstone Sword. sword and, and, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you owe me your next trophy. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> Let's talk <laughs> about the guard. It's been a while guard. since I've got one. Oh, shut up. <laughs> Mr. I went to two grand events and won both. Get out of here. Mm. Um, what about Spoko Guard? I know they're a fan favorite. What do you think's going on over there? Um, well, only one person took him to the event. Um, so, again, I just don't think that's enough information. Um, I know that uh, Jimmy took them to the skirmish. And went three and one with them. I think that with a good player behind them, I think the guard are actually very effective. Um, I've been playing them, and I did a, uh, a deck guide for how I've been running them on Well of Power. And I know uh, a couple people on the Discord have been running them with a lot of success. Um, the interesting thing about them is that they're of the uh, objective warbands. They have, I think, the most reliable damage if you can get the fighters inspired and the warden stays alive long enough. Um, I think they go into Grimwatch excellently as well. Yeah, I mean, the the Harvester is pretty key in that matchup. But even the the Prince and the, the Champion, they're just so accurate. Mm-hmm. It's nuts. And you don't need to do... You rarely need to do more than two damage against Grimwatch. Um, right. It's actually a very interesting point. Um. But I also a reoccurring theme here is that in the hands of a good player, a warband performs better than it does on average. Yeah, that is true. I do think that we're probably getting a. I mean, I, I think I think most serious players that um, are going to practice and travel and try to go to a grand clash with the goal of winning it, um, which I think is a, you know, a realistic goal for you know a top percentage of players. Um, I think they, you know, are going to try to take everything, you know, they're going to try to get every little edge that they can. Um, so I think that's probably the biggest reason that we see, you know, a smaller number of warbands in the top spots is because most of those top players, you know, are trying to give themselves the best chance that they can. Right. Yeah, I mean, statistically it makes sense. Um, yeah, I think it does. So I think the one stone we've left unturned is probably a pretty bloody one as well. Um, the infamous Garrick's Reavers. Um, so I know Davey's been running them a lot, and he's been having some success on these cam games. But, you know, we've always talked about how they have great faction cards. Um, yeah. I personally was, like, messing around with them the other day, and I was like, wow, these guys are better than I thought. And, uh, you'd be, you know, I'm still underestimating the Reavers after all this time, but... Uh, why do you think you didn't see them at the event either? Do you think they just, like, one dodge isn't good enough? Yeah, I think that's probably what it is. Um, I think that you rely on dice a lot. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, one of the things I think that is that you, with Curse Breakers being in the meta and being so good, and then particularly the way that people are playing Curse Breakers, where Stormsire will become... <laughs> Uh, super upgraded with Yara's Instant Shield and Eldridge Ward, you have to be able to kill him, and you have to be able to kill him quickly. Right. Um, I think there's a few matchups, particularly Grimwatch, um, where if he doesn't die right away, like in the first, maybe the second round, um, it becomes much, much harder to win. Um, so I think people are taking more damage. Um, also, Rip of Snarl Fangs 
if you don't kill them quickly enough, um, they can get out of control if they roll good. Um, you might just lose everybody. <laughs> right. Uh, well, it's interesting you say that about Stormsire because, like, uh, Sake, the original OG, mm-hmm. Sake, he can do it. Yeah. Even Haymaker, you charge first turn, you get that crit on a one defense Stormsire, and then you play Pit Trap or Encroaching Shadow or Lethal Ward. And, my friend, you've pretty much got the game right there, right? Yeah, and that's the interesting thing. So I think that uh, Reavers probably like the Curse Breaker matchup. I think they probably like Lady Harrow's matchup too. Um, but I don't think they like Grimwatch that have prepared enough damage and enough attacks and enough weapons to kill um, those warbands. And I don't think they can stand the uh, like the wave that is Thorns. Like I think they break on Thorns, if that makes sense. Um, I think Varclav and the Queen and the Everhanged is just too much for uh, for Reavers to be able to like overcome. Right. Because they, they have to kill them and they have to stop the Chainrats from holding objectives. And I, I think it's just too much. But I think they really like half the meta. Yeah, it's so interesting. <clears throat> Again, it's this rock, paper, scissors meta where we like – it's kind of weird. Like if you can if you can call the meta correctly, you can actually do really well. But the problem is that there's just so many options, which in theory is like probably very like one of the best like things you can have for a game like this. But it's also really interesting because now we're all just like, man, there's not just one warband that's going to like dominate. Um, yeah. Solidly. Right, like you play thorns, you run into curse breakers. Ouch! You play curse breakers, you run into um, something aggro. Ouch! You play, uh, or even grimwatch, and then you play grimwatch and you run into thorns, and you, you just go ouch. You know, it's, so it's it's so interesting, really. I really hope maybe at LVO we see some crazy deck that kind of just avoids all of that nonsense. <laughs> um, but I don't think we have enough cards for that yet, personally. Yeah, I think it is a combination of we don't have very many cards yet. And then I also think that it's because objectives are so good, um, almost entirely because of temporary victory, I think, um, people skew really hard into objectives to, to, to make the most of that. And then other yeah. people skew really hard into countering objectives. And then if you can be good against the counter, then it feels like rock, paper, rock, paper scissors. <laughs> yeah. So... It's it's a weird uh, it's a weird dynamic that I don't think was present in Night Vault, um, for different reasons, and uh, it's sort of an interesting development in the Beast Grave season, I think. Yeah, I think so. So enough about the Grand Clash and the weekend. <laughs> awesome stuff. Congratulations yeah. to Sandro, the winner. Uh, congratulations to the top four, um, and thank you so much to our friends and just the competitors in general for going to this event and. Not only like playing your hearts out and growing the community and the scene, but also giving us some awesome data to discuss afterwards. Um, so, and again, congratulations to the Top 16. Uh, it's a pretty large event. Made it Top 16. That's awesome. Uh, Jonathan, what are, what are your closing thoughts on this weekend of uh, competition? Um, I think it was just great. I'm, I'm, I think it's so cool that um, they can have a tournament. That has 100 and almost 140 people 
at it. Uh, it seems like it went really smoothly. Uh, I think they've ironed out a lot of the format issues. Uh, it looks like, I mean, there there were only two warbands that were not present, which is cool. And uh, I guess I just wish I could be there. You know, hopefully we'll be able to go to one of these other England ones, um, maybe next year or something like that. So, I mean, we have to go next year because, um, you know, you promised. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hopefully Masters is next year and we can go to that. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's one thing about Masters, too, is I hope it travels. I think we've talked about the yeah. stop ass before, so we'll drop it here. But, uh, you know, it'd be really cool to, like, I don't know, play in Paris. So it's like you can go travel to Paris and have fun and then, like, also play an Underworlds event with your mates. So um, closing thoughts for me. Um, clearly... Uh, you know, because you mentioned a lot of people are traveling to these events and it looks like a lot of people came in from Europe uh, for this last event over the weekend. It seems like people are relying over consistency over everything. And you can control a lot of that consistency when your deck revolves around standing on objectives. Um, if you take enough push cards and you win some, you know, every once in a while you win like a round roll off, you can probably score through your deck pretty reliably. At the end of the day, we are a miniatures arena combat game, so dice do matter. But, you know, Thorns, Harrows, and Grimwatch especially are relying on cards that don't require interaction uh, with other fighters, just uh, feature tokens, which I think is really interesting. Um, And then the only other warband up there, really, is one that inherently can destroy those feature tokens. Um, And so it's a. Not only that, a lot of Cursebreaker, a lot of the power from Cursebreakers is that they aren't relying on dice rolls because they have innates and or they're rolling three spell dice. Exactly. Yeah. Well that's, power. Another, that's another great point is that you're. Yeah. So exactly. So actually the top four warbands, now that we talk about it, aren't really rolling dice as much as they should be. They don't need to to win. Yeah. Is the, is the theme. Right. Exactly. That, that's the theme. And, and so. Um, not surprised, right? Like if you can, yeah. If your decisions are pretty clear and you don't have to rely on dice. I mean, we've heard so many stories about just dice. You know, like we've all been victims of dice and we've all been the the victors from dice as well. And if you can kind of minimize that equation, that's your best shot at winning this game. And um, I think I don't know if it was you, but someone said lately, Underworlds feels more like a card game than a miniatures game. Was that you? It may have been. I, I know yeah. I've certainly said that before. Um, I think I that agree. the yeah, I think that it's in a lot of ways. I think that it's because of temporary victory and similar cards. Um, they're mm-hmm. so rewarding that you build for them. So I'm going to take distraction. If I can take two distractions, I'll take two distractions. Mm-hmm. I'll take restless prize. I might take mischievous spirits. And my whole strategy is going to be around stealing those objectives and then charging my fighters onto those objectives, scoring the score immediately. And then if I happen to kill something while I'm at it, then all the better. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's, I think, how that would be how I would define particularly the Grimwatch and the Thorns of the Briar Queen strategy right now. Um, and so what it ends up being is, you know, I'll play, uh, the push card that pushes all the ghouls. I'll set up a temporary victory and then, yeah, pack advance. And then, you know, then, then the power step to you. And I'm basically asking you, Hey, can you stop me? Yeah. 
and then you either have the cards to stop me or you don't, mm-hmm. and then it goes back to me, and then either I have the cards to counter your cards, and it it feels a lot more like a card game than a positioning and target priority game. Right. Um, and I think that all three parts of that of the game are really important, and I think we've had periods of the game where the card aspect was the lowest. Like I think in Nightball, you would take a very reliable deck and you'd have a spike where you drew ready for action. Um, but a lot of it was positioning. A lot of it was target priority. Yeah, um, and that's what I miss, honestly. I mm-hmm. miss that. I had a yeah. lot of fun in Nightbolt, and um, that's kind of why I just feel like I agree with your assessment that it feels like a card game because um, every game I play, it's exactly so. Can we? Can you stop my temp victory? Can you stop my supremacy? And right. the most reliable way is cards because you can miss with dice and then now that everyone's taking so many push cards you have to take anti-push cards so your accuracy card limit goes down because you got to fit in 10 or maybe 11 cards um so i don't know um beating it to a dead horse a little bit so we'll move on but (laughs) um you know i guess our consensus here is um maximize your chances of winning by rolling the least amount of dice and those four warbands do that. I think out of all four of them, maybe Curse Breakers and Harrows rely on dice more. Uh, but you I know, think so. Um, again, if you want to travel and pay for an event and lodging and food and beer, especially, um, <laughs> um, you, you're probably going to want to make the most out of your trip, right? So why not play a warband that kind of plays itself? Um, yeah, or one that throws a lot of dice, you know? <laughs> yeah which but even then even i don't know then, if it's enough yeah yeah i played the game today where i rolled five dice and didn't roll a success and yeah and I, and I think because there are strategies that rely on they that don't really need to roll very many dice to win and then if you're playing a strategy that does and then you don't roll even average you just you lose, lose. Yeah, yeah exactly and, yeah. and that's the point i was making earlier is that this is what happened in the, in the grand clash Right. Is that everybody just went with stuff that doesn't need that many rolls. And then, and, yeah. I do think maybe the exception was the Thunder's Profiteers deck, um, although I think it did, uh, the one that was in first. Um, oh, Nick Ramones. Yeah, and I think he did uh, extremely well, and he was also playing with some objectives to make the most of that. Um, but then it's interesting that he ended up playing Grimach, I think, in the first round, and then that was it. <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, I I talked to him. He said he lost his game because he uh, missed two two smash attacks two rounds in a row, which was a 10-glory swing. And uh, I looked at his deck, and, um, you know, I I noticed that there was a lack of accuracy cards. Um, I mean, in the the Gambit set. I mean, obviously, in the upgrade Mm -hmm. set, there's plenty. But, yeah, it's the price you have to pay because if you want to also score glory for not doing anything... Uh, but just moving or jumping onto hexes, then, um, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of split. And so, like, just in that case right there, if the dice don't line up to you, even on average, like, he should have mm-hmm. got one success in four dice, at least. Um, right. Then yeah. that's it. And you lost, and he lost. And, you know, he probably could have won that game. He probably could He probably could have won the whole event, because it's, it's a pretty good deck. But... When the when you can it's like it's like in science, uh, 
known and uh, what is it? It's not not known and unknown. There's some other word for it when we had to do like the science <laughs> papers and stuff. Variables and non-variables. That's what it is. Yeah. And I said science stuff. Jeez, the nerds are gonna make fun of me. I'm an English um, major, so I don't know what you're talking about at all. Yeah. Well, so it's like <laughs> variables and non-variables, right? So if you can control the variables, right, then you're you're in a great spot. I mean, science proves this. Anyways, moving on. LVO. <laughs> Let's go. Um, sure. What do we expect to see there? I don't know. Probably the same thing. <laughs> I think it is probably going to be a lot of the same thing. Um, I think it's America, so I think we like aggro a little bit more. Hell yeah. I think we're going to try it. <laughs> we're going to try to make it work. Yeah. Uh, that's actually a really good point. Um, that's a really good point. So, for some reason, we all love playing orcs and magors. <laughs> and profiteers. Yep. And I won't be surprised is if we have a little more of a skew in that area. Don't get me wrong. We'll I think we're gonna have a lot of rippers too. Yes, that's another good one. So we'll see a lot of curse breakers, a lot of Grimwatch, a lot of Medi Heroes, because they kind of fit the aggro bill as well. And a lot of excuse me, thorns. But you know, like if you if you can't beat or like if you can't play into aggro, you're in for uh, uh, you know a tough time. And who loves aggro more than America, <laughs> the land of uh, road rage and uh, and uh, I don't know some other stuff. I mean, I'm American, so I can make fun of my. I mean, we can make fun of ourselves, but uh, sure, yeah, you know, sometimes yeah. it's just fun to charge into each other and roll dice, and I think that's what a lot of us like doing. I would be surprised if we just had one Molog player like they did. Uh, I'll say that. I think oh, we'll definitely see more, more Molog. Yeah. We'll definitely see more than one Molog. Yeah. I, I I'm thinking we need to take a lot more damage. Than... Honestly, you should take Molog. <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> then just. I've thought about it, and I think I would actually probably the do The fact that you thought about it means that you just... Everything we've ever said about Molog now is invalidated. Because you don't even believe in what you said. I just, I just really don't want to play Thorns of the Briar Queen. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I don't know. Better figure out some secret sauce real quick, bud, because yeah. we got four days. It's true. I haven't four even days. built deck yet, Jesus. <laughs> um, I, I have an idea of, like, four things that I could play. I'm probably going to just, like, default to I think everyone has an idea of playing Thorns, Curse Breakers, Harrows, or, uh, or Grimwatch. Yeah. yeah. Come on, dude. I want to play Harrows because I have. They're the I ones want to play Wild Hunt. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. like real, like low key, I feel like just with a couple more cards, they could just like crush this meta. But I'm just. I like, actually I, think they can be pretty good, but the, you rely on dice. Oh yeah, exactly. Like if I had like a fueled by fury or like a vindictive attack. Oh man. I, I that's all I need, and then I could reliably. I've been thinking about I, sitting target a little bit more. I like that card. Yeah. Uh, I, I but it's so hard to fit it with all the tech. Like you need like five pieces of anti-objective tech. It feels like. Yeah. So. And then you play Molog and he doesn't care. <laughs> well, that's the funny thing about some of these aggro warbands. If they're playing Magors or they're playing Molog and you have five cards in your deck that are anti-objective, then you probably just lose. That's why heroes have done so well, because they have two distractions, and then they yeah. have one that is a distraction that moves you two hexes that brings you closer to them. Yeah, so it has a lot more utility in the 
aggro mashup as well. And yeah. Dissipate is awesome. Innate dodge, foe free. Yep, yep. And then against Objective Warbands, they have the better version of No Time, where you can just play oh, that. Oh, yeah, where you can play it, and then you can yeah. still play power cards. Yeah, that seems yeah. really interesting to me. So Yeah, it's real nice. I think um, I think Guardians, maybe Dark Horse here, like Davey likes to say, Dark Horse, <laughs> but, uh, or Rogue Choice is his is the phrase but um i don't know man you can you can you can destroy three objectives you can take invert <laughs> terrain leech power and unmaking and score scorched scorched earth yes but then i'm not sure what you do in the aggro matchup so i oh. think that there will be a build for them sometime in beast grave i think i'll say that i think that uh like I think they just need more cards. I have a really hard time building an objective deck with them right now. Yeah, but I think the objective deck problem is solved later. Then I think they'll see some play because they're fast, they're pretty accurate, and they can destroy objectives. And they have a reason to want to, which is kind of important because they have the reclaim the lamentary, and then they can uh, take scorched earth. So all you gotta do <laughs> is leave it up to the boy Galligan. <laughs> that's yeah all. that's all you do give him survival instincts give him survival instincts give him a bunch of tomes oh and give him spectral well, no you can't give him spectral armor him, <laughs> and then you just um where's acrobatic when you need it no you take warding warding stance so he has three yeah, dice yeah. on guard and if he rolls a crit he hits you <laughs> no matter how far you are honestly that's yeah. my goal one day is to build a galligan build i've yet to do so <laughs> but maybe beast grave is the day or will okay. only give me the day where i can do it <laughs> cool. um, uh do you think we'll see some variants in the skirmishes that are coming up so it, lbo is really interesting for those of you who aren't aware um pretty much the team who was running the event uh, made a mistake which happens i guess um so instead of a two-day Grand Clash, LVO is a one-day Grand Clash on a Sunday in Vegas. It's yep. four rounds, and then it cuts to a top four, where the top four duke it out for the trophy. Um, now, the Friday and Saturday before that are two skirmishes. So there's, I think, three prize packs, um, and I'm not really sure why. I think there was like they made a mistake. It was like caught they said they were going to change it to a two-day people complained and then they switched it back to a one day or didn't even switch it to a two-day um so um i get it you're paying for flights and lodging like and travel you got to plan in advance um yeah so i think at the very least people will bring two or three warbands just to have some fun with i know that we're going to try to do wild hunt friday maybe i don't know i'm the only one right now i'm trying to convince you and tony but I'm down. Anybody that wants to do Wild Hunt Friday, let's do it. <laughs> That's right. You heard it here first, everyone. It's uh, it's Vegas. You need to roll some dice. <laughs> there you, That's what I'm saying, Jonathan. Let's go. Yeah, I'm down. We're rolling all sorts of dice in Vegas. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so um, I think we're getting to the point where we're kind of uh, getting a little getting a little whimsical. Uh, and episodes already past the hour, almost at the hour and a half mark. So let's hop into listener questions. Do you want to take the first one, Jonathan? 
Uh, yeah, this is something that I think we've sort of talked about already. This is from uh, Michael at Still City Underworlds. He has a question. He says the Grimwatch won the Grand Clash, Bugman Skirmish, and the Grand Skirmish, as well as the last GC, and that was Michael himself. Um, and he wants to know if we think they are the new OP warband. Uh, you know, more or less. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think they're good. <laughs> I think a half our episode was about that question. We we knew they were good, and they're good. So yeah, I mean, they were good enough to where Mike took them. So. Yeah. Um, and he won a Grand Clash with them. They've won two Grand Clashes now. Interestingly, though, I think they were better back, back then. then. I think yeah. they were better before Temporary Victory came out. I agree. Um, I think they got sillier because I think Temporary Victory is a very silly card. Um, mm-hmm. when you can take two of it and Shifting Madness and Calculated Risk and, you know, Lord knows what else. It just gets silly. But, <laughs> like, I think everybody else took more of a boost from it. That's particularly yeah. to the Brian Queen. I think so. It's opened up a lot of interesting strategies where some are viable and some are just like, why does that work when it shouldn't? My my least favorite thing is when you'll be holding three objectives or two objectives and then you win the roll off to go first and then you charge onto another objective or you just do nothing <laughs> and you score a temporary victory because you drew into it. Yeah. So dumb. <laughs> it's silly. It's yeah. silly. Um, Kilorodado. I'm sorry, I butcher your name every time. <laughs> Kilorodado. Kilorodado. How would one counter Grimwatch without being vulnerable to curse breakers? I think Rippers are the best counter warband to Grimwatch, but unsure for any for every other warband. Um, so I actually think Rippers, if built correctly, can play very well into curse breakers. Um, Michael Carlin plays a pretty mean Ripper Snarlfangs deck. And in our practice games, we went roughly 50-50. And so I think Rippers is a a great option. Um, I think you have to be very controlled in the way you approach the match. I think when you strike, you need to go for the kill. Um, And I think there are a lot of ways in which you can surprisingly score an alarming amount of glory uh, just off one action or two actions. Whereas the curse breakers, they need to engage with you. So, um, but then again, so do the, the snarl fangs. So, if you really want to play anything other than snarl fangs and you want to counter Grimwatch and not be vulnerable to curse breakers, um, play just. I don't aggro. If you kill Stormsire, you win. If you kill enough Grimwatch, you win. Um, I think Mogors are another one that's like almost there too. Yeah, it's just it's so hard building that objective deck, you know. <sighs> yeah, I yeah, mean, it's Jimmy, not as bad as some of the other ones, but yeah, like Jimmy took it, but he yeah he, he relied on that one. surprise factor, right? Like yeah, of like because he had supremacy, uh, bold conquest, swift capture, scrum, and um, temporary victory, so. Yeah, he had a really cool deck, and I think he actually did really well. I think three and one with Magors is like awesome. Um, one of the things that was cool about, interesting about this event is like, not only did you have to go at least three and one to make the cut, you had to drop no games, and then you had to also have a really high glory differential. There were nine people that only lost one match, didn't lose any other games other than the two you had to lose to lose the match, and only six of them made the cut into the top 16 right 
so with these large events, like you have to be either like perfect and go four and or you have to be almost perfect and only drop one match and have a really, really good glory scores the whole time. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough. Um, yeah. Like it's, it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's essentially playing a one day grand clash format on the first day. Yeah. Yeah. Cause because back in the old days, you didn't make it to the final unless you won every game 2-0 and your glory differential was high enough. Yeah, that is one thing we didn't mention, I think. This this event continued the trend where the winner had dropped a game in the first day. Yeah. There has been no two-day Grand Clash where the winner didn't drop a game in the first day. Yeah, exactly. Which is, Which is very interesting. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, there's that underdog story. So... Um, I think it makes for a really cool narrative, and I think that people are uh, – it's just giving people a chance. I think um, – I don't know. I really think that you should have the smallest cut possible. Like, I think that mm-hmm. people – if there are eight people who are 4-0, just cut it at eight. You know, yeah. like, it should cut to as many even people as possible who didn't – like, who are who are winning. Who haven't lost. That's the whole point of a Grand Clash. Is that there's one undefeated person. Yeah, that's true. Every, every, four, four rounds and then a cut to top 16 does seem like a big cut to me. Yeah. Like, if only eight people, or let's say seven people, go 4-0. Mm-hmm. Okay, then just take the highest 3-1 person, make it even eight, and then play the next day. And that guy gets, gets in, sure. Or that girl, but it doesn't matter, right? Because like, majority right. of people there went four and oh and, and that's, that's go ahead oh uh, sorry and that's what we're doing at lvo which will be interesting to contrast that if we have under 64 people then the top four will be like two to three undefeated maybe four undefeated um but then there might be one person that gets in with a cut right. to top four so yeah. and they'll end up winning the event because that's the trend <laughs> Yeah, so, maybe. Um, there's an next another question from Cy Cy oh cyanide. Wow. Um, morbid. <laughs> it's spelled a little differently, I think. It it is, but uh, right on the nose there. How would you feel <laughs> if game if Games Workshop changed the card distribution to be in faction only, with warbands more universal with core sets, and one or two added universal packs during a season? Jonathan. Hmm. So I think what they're saying is if the warbands only came with warband cards. And there was and then, less universal cards. And the universal cards only came with a core set and then maybe like a power unbound style or leaders pack style during later in the hmm. season. Um, I mean, from a game perspective, if they gave us half the cards up front and then, you know, gave us more warbands and then gave us the next half of the cards or something like that, uh, I guess I wouldn't mind. Um, I do think that Beastgrave has... Uh, I, I don't want to say it's suffered, but compared to Nightfall, I think that the Echoes of Glory pack, having 60 new cards um, injected into it right at the launch of the season, um, was really good. Um, so more cards up front, I would love that. Um, uh, I don't really care personally whether or not the warbands come with universals because i'm going to buy them all anyway because i want to play them all 
Um, and I'm gonna get they all the universals gotcha. as well. Sure. I mean, I just love this game. So yeah, me too. They um, got me nasty. <laughs> um. Um, <laughs> but I I do think maybe that would make it easier for some new players to get into it. Um, I do wonder if there are players that don't start the game because they feel like they have to buy everything. But if they could buy a couple card packs uh, and then the warband they want to play, maybe that would uh, bring them into the game. You know? So, yeah. I really but, like the idea of like you have you can if you want to get into the game. You just buy the core set, and then if you want to expand upon what you have without committing to another $35 purchase for uh, the Americans over here, um, then you can maybe buy like a like not a booster pack, but like a like a like a Echoes of Glory. It's perfect. That's awesome. I thought that was great. Um, yeah. I mean, Power Unbound right now is great, you know, for a new player. Yeah, um, that's so. true. I, I think maybe they try to do a balance. Um, I don't yeah. think it's too hard to get into the game right now, uh, monetarily, but it can also just be a lot, like, to, like, figure out, like, or it can maybe give you too many options if you feel like you have to buy, uh, you know, like, 16 warbands or whatever to just be competitive. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's fair. I kind of like the cadence, though, at the moment. Um, I think I once think, you're caught up, it's great. Yeah. Well, that's the cool thing about the rotation. Yeah. So, and then I know that some of the older warbands are harder to get a hold of, but I mean, you know, you can always convert your own. Um, yeah, I think I really it's the cards that are the hard part, but yeah. I don't know. I mean, I honestly feel like I have enough warbands already. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, I haven't played Farstriders in like a year. Yeah, know? I have like a display trophy like, or display case and like my yeah. three favorites at the top shelf uh, with my with some of my trophies and. I've got uh, Curse Breakers, Profiteers, and Farstriders. And I keep looking at them. I'm like, when am I ever going to play you guys again? You know? There's just so many more Warbands to play, and now yeah. I want to play Man Trappers. <laughs> yeah, the Man Trappers look great. I'm hoping that we get two Warbands at once. Um, yeah. Because I don't know if I like the one-on-one. Like, the Grimwatch came, and then Ripus came, and... You know, we've mentioned production issues and stuff, but uh, let's hope they don't have that again. I think we need as many universals as we can get right now. Yeah, absolutely. So. Last question from H2 Coach. Do you think they will ever restrict any infaction cards? Short answer, no. Long answer, no, but I hope they do. <laughs> um, yeah. It's just a bad precedent, right? If you think about it. There are some cards worth restricting. Harness the Storm in the name of the king. Um, one could even argue like Headshot um, or Treacherous Foe uh, and Dominion of Death, which is pretty much uh, a superior tactician. I think, mm-hmm. I think the problem with that is that once you start, you can never stop. Yeah. And so I think the smartest move is to avoid that can of worms. I think, you know, they've already made the restricted list smaller. And if we continue to add more cards to that list, then it makes deck building harder. Um, And then what happens is that these factions with stronger faction cards become more dominant. And I think that is a challenge. Um, but I think that moving forward, um, 
they just need to make sure that the cards are a bit more like balanced. Um, like I think Ripa Snallfangs is a great, great set of cards, but none of them feel like wow, this is broken. Um, I think uh, there are also warbands like Mogor's Fiends, and you look at their faction objectives now that Shardgale's gone, and you're like, what is happening? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you look true. at chosen axes and you're like, what? <laughs> um, so <laughs> although for them it's more of like their warband than it is the cards. Right, but, right. But you get the you, idea. What do you think about the often the other suggestion that usually goes along with restricting faction cards is what if they let some factions have more restricted cards than others? So I think tiering warband is also like a, a trap. I think um, it's a slippery slope. Yeah. Yeah, I can literally hear Admiral Akbar in the background yelling <laughs> at trap. Like, yeah. no, it's it's tough, man. Like, who's gonna do it? And then you know, okay, cool, the the Underworld's design team and maybe their playtesters. Okay, cool. Um and like what if like if they make a mistake it 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 messes up. You know, like you can effectively kill a warband. And if that's the intention, then sure, like you can say, Well, Stormsire can only take two restricted cards. Well, that pretty much kills the warband in this current meta. Well, well, I mean, what if Kersberg, what if everybody stayed at three, but then Isaac and I got five? Yeah, I mean, that's another way to look at it. And yeah, maybe that works. Yeah, um, I just think that it's like, you know, so what if they're still not good? Then do you give them six? If they're still not good, so do you give the them problem. seven? So, like, yeah. so, so, so that's actually another good point. If you give them five and they're still not good, then it's not a it's not a restricted list problem. It's a design problem. And I don't yeah. think if you make something, you want to highlight what you did wrong um, or what you didn't do correctly rather than wrong. I think wrong is the wrong word uh, conveniently. Um, so I think, no, I think this, the, 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 I, don't, I don't. First of all, I don't like the idea. It's too complicated. You have to look at a list to refer when you play games and build decks. And yeah, yeah, there's tons of resources, but like that's too complicated. Um, restricting infaction cards, I don't know. What I think moving forward, I think there should just be like lessons have been learned. And I think that I think with Beastgrave, it's been great. I mean, aside from Grimwatch, which you know I guess is 25% of what we've seen so far. Um, <laughs> yeah. I really liked everything. Like I think Despoilers is fine in Grashrak's Despoilers. Right, so I actually think if you remove Grimwatch and Thorns of the Briar Cream from the situation right now, the game is in a really, really cool place. I um, honestly, I think that's a great point, but it leads me to my next point, which is unpopular opinion, but I really think you just gotta rotate Warbands. Hmm. I think there's just a lot. I mean, look, there's already 8, 16, there's gonna be 24 just from core sets, and then we have 26 with Dreadfane. Yeah. And then in two years, we'll have, like, what, 50-something? <laughs> that, that is crazy to think about, that we might 42? have. 42? 42 warbands. And it's like, now you have to plan for 40 warbands. And sure, maybe, like, half of them are irrelevant. But the fact that you have to plan for, like, 22, 23 warbands is nuts. You only have 32 cards in your deck. Or, you know? Yeah. I think most likely what will happen is, like, half of them will just be unplayable. Like, well, you know, yeah, they'll just be obvious winners. And there are going to be people who are always complaining that, oh, I want to play this Warband and I can't anymore because yeah. they're... 
they're not good. And, and then, then what do you do? Do you restrict all the good Warbands cards? Like, yeah, or, and that's the problem yeah. we're facing. But if you like yeah. say, you know what? You guys had your time. It was great while it lasted. Yeah. Play in Relic, but you, you're you not viable in championship play. And I, think, I can see that. You know? Or maybe, maybe they should, like, retire certain warbands. Mm. That would be interesting, because if Thorns and Grimwatch and Cursebreakers, two years from now, are still, like, placing in top eight in events moving forward, like, at what point... Do you just look at it and be like, these guys are too strong? <laughs> look at Curse Breakers. Yeah, especially because, like, from a design space perspective, like, either Curse Breakers and Thorns of the Briar King will always be good, yeah. or you have to make something better than them. And then well, that's, like, really strong power creep. Curse so it'll be interesting to see magic. how they handle that. Curse Breakers ruin magic for everyone else because yeah. they do it too well. Right. And Thorns are kind, kind of ruin objectives. ruining objectives now. Um, yeah. But look at it like Adepticon, Curse Breakers, Thorns in the final. Um, <laughs> Warhammer World January, Curse Breakers win. Um, yeah. You know, like Curse Breakers and I mean, I, I, I could. It was name Curse it. Breakers, Magors at LVO. It was Curse Breakers and Profiteers at the other one you went to. It was Yothari versus Yothari, but that was, was uh, kind of also kind of a fluke, I think. Yeah, there was Thorns versus Your Profiteers. And then there was yeah. Curse Breakers Just Now versus uh, Grimwatch. Yeah. And in yeah. the final before that, it was Thorns versus Grimwatch. Yeah, and I, mean, I guess if they slow down, I don't know, like Curse Breakers are only going to be as good as the magic that's available, I think. But magic is a core but, part of this game now. You can't yeah. not make magic anymore because of one warband <laughs> yeah you that's know? true it's really I interesting and i think the design team is cognizant of this and i have full confidence and faith that they can do something about it but and i'm sure they will i mean they've made an excellent game let's not you know let's make yeah. it very clear we both I mean, love we this were, game. we were talking about how they should cycle the universals yeah. like a year before they did it and so i think they know yeah i think they that's know right we I did mean, we called that a while ago um, yeah I think they'll figure it out. Yeah, I really <laughs> they, think... They probably already planned it all out. So. Yeah, I just really think Warband's got to go at one point. And I didn't think that until you convinced me. Um, <laughs> I think like I just the, assumed they might. Yeah, may, well, I don't know. The way you phrased it, where it's like, if I'm playing, I don't know, Shade Grave in like six years, <laughs> you know, whatever you want to call it. Night Spire. <laughs> Night Spire. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Beast Vault, whatever. Um, you are gonna have to plan for like seventy warbands. Like, what are you gonna do? Yeah, I don't, I, I don't I think don't, you are. I don't yeah. think. Uh, at that point, I'm just like, yo, dude, I'm just playing Wild Hunt. <laughs> <laughs> especially, especially if you can't even buy half of them anymore. Like, that's kind of a problem they're running into now. Like, people can't even buy Magor's fiends. Yeah, seriously, that is kind of. Frustrating, because, like, yeah. what if Gore's Fiends become, like, OP in, like, two months? What if you can't buy Thorns of the Briar Queen anymore, but they're still the best? Dude, I <laughs> promise you I'd see so many converted Thorns of the Briar Queen. Yeah. People, like, printing the cards and sticking them in sleeves. Like, it'd be it'd be nuts. It'd be a scandal. Um, yeah. That's funny. 
Well, <laughs> I think those are all the questions we've got. Um, we're pushing an hour and 40 right now, so I think we're going to roll it out here. Jonathan, any closing comments? Uh, no, I think that's uh, probably it for me, other than uh, I can't wait for LVO. I am very excited to meet everybody there and hang out with people and uh, play some of this great game. Yeah. Oh, this just in. Question from Amon. Jonathan, what are you playing at LVO? Ugh, probably Grimwatch. Oof. Oof. Maybe Harrow's. If, if I fall in love with Harrow's over the next three days, it might be that. You hear but, that, guys? Jonathan's going to play one of the two best warbands <laughs> in the game right now. It's true. <laughs> so will everybody else there, probably. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Okay. There is a part of me that wants me to, wants to go off meta like Jimmy and play Magors, but I'm not yeah. sure if I have it in me. I honestly, like I was, I I think I put it in our pod squad chat. I was like, I kind of want to play Wild Hunt, and Davey sends this gift like, do it, <laughs> yeah, Just do it. Um, that would be good. They're almost there, and if you get Tome of Offerings and Trophy Bell on Scathe and AOE, the right group of people it <laughs> can win you the game. But yeah. And transfixing stairs not around anymore. Swinging at your face. Yeah, yeah. What was that? I said in transfixing stairs isn't really going to be around anymore, so you just Scathe doesn't have to worry about that anymore. Ooh, it could be tasty. It could be tasty, or <laughs> you just take transfixing stair because. Oh, that's true. The eventuality yeah. you just put in everyone's minds. Ah, see, that's what I'm doing. I'm I'm baiting everyone into taking transfixing stairs so they only have two other restricted slots. That's all they need oh. <laughs> if they're playing Thorns or Grimwatch. Maybe. I don't think I don't think I saw one transfixing stare at all at the on the stream. So no, I think it's mostly out of that meta. Oh, Carlin took it in his deck. Um, oh, did he? Yeah. So, but maybe you just take um, calculated risk. I think you do. Temporary and then, victory like, and then. Sandra, t- Sandra actually didn't even take calculated risk. He took temporary victory, sudden growth, and tome of offerings. Which I think makes more sense because your yeah. your warband can duke it out. That was more. really interesting to me. Yeah. Um, well, as you can see, if we can get distracted very easily and just jump down a <laughs> rabbit hole. What so are you going to play in Nova? I guess you'll find out. Or not Nova. Oh, yeah. yeah. At Nova, I have no idea. Yeah, um, who knows? Maybe a new warband, who knows? At LVO, um, okay, I'll probably, since you said two, <laughs> I'll say I'll play either Thorns of the Briar Queen or Grimwatch or Oof. Lady Harrow's Mournflight or Curse Breakers. <laughs> so. Oh, okay, we've learned a lot this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Reoccurring theme here. Um <laughs> Honestly, man, I have no idea. Part of me just wants to, like I said, roll some dice and have fun and not worry about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, any anything else? Nope. That's it for me. Okay. Uh, well, all right, everyone. That's it for this episode. If you have any feedback, questions, or comments, let us know on Facebook at Path to Glory Podcast or on our Discord channel, uh, which will be. Uh, I think you can put the invite in the uh, show notes. Um, you can also follow us on Podbean, where you can find the show notes for this episode. Please rate us on iTunes as well. We like five stars. And thanks for listening. We hope that you had a great week, a happy new year, 
and that hopefully temporary victory gets banned, and we wish you the luck on your path to glory. Noise.